Hear the word of the Lord from John chapter 17. After Jesus had said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. 
Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Katie Joy. You ever wish that you could hear what Jesus sounded like when you read the Gospels? I do, both as a student and as a teacher. I'm, I'm concerned about what Jesus said and what we find in our scriptures. But I don't know if it's good enough just to know what it said, what he said, but maybe even to know how he said it. And any of you who, have, who has ever sent a message, text message to an angry spouse, uh, you know how quickly words can be misinterpreted. And so I, I, feel, I feel like I'm sometimes guilty of, of reading sarcasm or impatience into certain texts that Jesus says when in reality he was speaking with just sober compassion. And on the flip side, there might be times where I'm reading the scriptures and I'm reading them in ways that uh, I feel like Jesus is trying to comfort me. And in reality, if I'd read them correctly with the right inflection, maybe I'd realize that he's actually trying to confront me in places. And so I, I think that this is one more reason that even though we have the scriptures, which praise God for the scriptures, that even though we have them, it's still good that when we approach them, we know that we're still dependent on God, that his, his spirit can be at work in us to be able to see them, to read them in ways. And so, Katie Joy, thank you for giving us one more um, picture into um, Jesus' high priestly prayer. I want to say welcome. If you're a guest here at Keystone, I'm glad you've chosen to worship with us today. We gather every Sunday to do just this. We sing songs, we'll preach the word, um, and we, we do that because we believe that Jesus is a big deal. That's why you hear it in a lot of the songs. And so if you're around Keystone long enough, you might get a sense of who we are and what we care about, uh, but I'm going to tell you there are a couple of ways that you can kind of fast track that. So if, if you're interested in getting to know some people here at Keystone, I've got some good news for you. Uh, if you open up your bulletin, inside there, there's a, a fellowship meal coming up uh, later in the month. And it's a free event. It's open to everyone, uh, but you need to register for it. And you can do that online on our new website, uh, which is exciting. Uh, or, actually today, if you look on the back of your bulletin, you can write your name, uh, and you can register for this fellowship meal. Um, tear it off, stick it in the offering bag, and we'll uh, get ready for you. That's a good way for you to just to get to know more people. It's tough for you, I understand, to get to talk to people on Sunday mornings, at least in this space. Uh, and so the fellowship meal is afterwards, and you can linger, and you can talk, and you might get to know some people. But if you're looking to know maybe more of um, what Keystone believes, and uh, who are all of the staff, we have a, a class, it's a three-week class that we call Connections, designed for somebody who's fairly new to Keystone, um, to kind of, it's like speed dating, uh, for the church. You kind of get like three quick dates with us to figure out what it is we believe, and you can make your decision um, based on that. We think everyone should have a church home. This may or may not be a good home for you, um, and so we want you to find out quickly so that you don't end up um, spending a lot of time with us and then realizing a long time down the road that, no, oh, it wasn't really a great fit. Um, now, if you want to find ways to, to give at Keystone, particularly maybe even towards the Harvey Fund, uh, Keystone has been um, supporting uh, missionaries that we have already established down in Corpus Christi, Texas, uh, starting with Relief. We just sent down uh, one of our own, Adam Hurst, this week. Um, and you can give online 
Um, and actually, you can learn more information online about how to sign up for a trip. We'll be taking several teams down over the next few weeks. And we're hoping one of these teams might be able to drive a truck down for us. Uh, Adam has realized that uh, his car is um, not necessarily advantageous when you're trying to haul uh, four by eight sheets of plywood. Um, and uh, tough part, like he's not 21 yet. And so with EFCA, he's got to be 21 to drive the EFCA trucks. I thought you could get away with everything in Texas, apparently not. And so we need to find a way that we can get um, a truck down to him. So if you have a truck or you have a truck or somebody you know has a truck um, that they're willing to give up, um, sell, uh, let him borrow for, uh, he's going to be down there anywhere from like three weeks to three months to three years. Who knows uh, how long it'll be. But I if you want to help serve that way, you can um, send a message to Keystone's uh, office. I'm going to give you um, three more things with announcements in your bulletin. Uh, you can still sign up for Jesus is Everything. Uh, it is a um, discipleship class taught by Pastor Keith. Meets on Monday night, starts tomorrow. Um, there's open room for it. Runs Mondays, uh, basically the fall through the winter. Um, fantastic way for you to start to connect the dots between what does the gospel say and what does it mean and why does it matter for us. Uh, two other ways that you might end up growing in your faith, you might sign up for our parenting seminar uh, coming up at the end of September, September 29th and 30th. Uh, we'll do a simulcast with Dr. Paul Tripp. Fantastic book on parenting. Um, parents, this is, I don't know why you would not come to this. There's child care for it. Uh, it's a free event, um, but we need you to register for it. Uh, we also have an apologetics, an evangelism and apologetics conference coming up October 13th, 14th, and 15th. You don't need to do a whole lot for it except just mark your calendar, know it's coming. Um, there is a registration fee for that. We're bringing in a professor from LBC, uh, Dr. Mark Farnham. And so in order for us to be prepared for that, uh, you need to register for this event um, online. <sighs> Lots of announcements. It's, it's, it's fall, September. A lot of things are happening in Keystone. I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward as we take our morning offering. If you're a guest, glad that you're here. Uh, the only thing we'd love for you is to tear off a uh, section of your bulletin, slip it in the offering bag, or uh, you can actually take it back to the info center. There'll be somebody there who can uh, receive that from you uh, and then give you a, a welcome bag just saying, thanks for being with us here today. Let's pray. And Father, whom do we have in heaven except for you? There is nothing on earth that we can desire that comes close to being as great as who you are. But Lord, in this world, we find that our flesh fades, our strength fades, our hearts fade. And so it's in these moments that we want to put our hope and put our strength and put our flesh into your hands. God, you are our refuge and strength, our very present help in times of trouble. So we won't fear. Though the mountains quake, though the hurricanes roar, though the wildfires burn and blaze, we know that there is someone seated on a throne, ruling, reigning, and orchestrating all things according to his wise and perfect and powerful plan. But Lord, we know that you have put us in this world as agents of blessing for the world, to channel your love to the world, and we want to receive the blessing that we get from you and use it to bless others. And I ask, Lord, that in this moment, that as we give, 
that these dollars would go to the extent of the world for the advance of the gospel, for the good of people, that those who are in Texas would come to realize there is still a God who's not abandoned them, who is reaching out his hand through the church to meet the tangible needs. I pray, Lord, that the dollars going here would be uh, a reminder of your faithfulness, a testimony to your goodness, and that the, the good works might direct people's eyes to a God in heaven who loves them more than just dollars loves them enough to send his son. So Lord, I pray that in the midst of all of the tragedy around the world, and amidst even the tragedies, that, that Lord, we understand here at Keystone that even we, we don't have all that we want to have. That we experience suffering and tribulation, the things that we desire, they don't seem to work out. And so even now we trust you that you are working good things in us and through us. And I pray that you'd continue to do that here at Keystone. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've been reminded uh, over the summer that every once in a while, it's probably good for me to just introduce myself, uh, let you know who I am and what I do. I've had a few people over the summer uh, ask um, me who I am, uh, what I do for a living, um, <laughs> whether I'm full, really full-time, what do I do all week long? Um, and so I want to clear some of that up. Uh, first of all, if you can't see my name tag, my name is uh, Brandon Fisher. I am the lead pastor at Keystone. And I know when I say that, I know people's eyes are like, oh, wait a second, Brandon. I know you're not the guy who's normally preaching, and that's true. Um, pastor Keith, who's on vacation this week, um, is our primary preacher teacher. Um, he was the senior pastor who started Keystone back in the early 90s, led it for um, 20 years or so. Uh, but in 2014, we had a shift in leadership. Um, where Keith decided to, to set aside um, some of the big picture leadership decisions of Keystone so that he could set his attention more on the preaching, teaching end of uh, his ministry. And, and so it was 2014 that I assumed the role as lead pastor, and for the past three years, uh, I end up overseeing big picture things. I oversee all staff at Keystone, oversee all ministries at Keystone, uh, finances, administration, facilities, a lot of behind-the-scenes work that, that kind of just keeps Keystone moving. Now, occasionally I'll get to fill in for Keith uh, in the pulpit when he's not here, and I'll do that in a second, um, and I'll, I'll, I like doing that. Uh, I was nervous to do it today because today um, we are doing the, this Bible memory challenge. You guys, uh, if you're new, we've been memorizing Scripture as a church. Uh, every month, different verse, and in a second I'll ask you to stand, and we'll uh, read our passage from Revelation 1. Uh, and then we'll re repeat it from memory, and I'm realizing, well, if I'm filling for Keith's shoes, I've got, I normally sit over there, and if I don't know it, I just move my mouth, and it looks like I know it, uh, but now I'm going to have to, so I'm, I'm going to do things to kind of make it a little easier for me, maybe a little easier for you. Uh, I'm going to do things differently, just don't, well, you can tell Keith, I don't care. Um, I, I'm going to go a little slower. Um, I find it sometimes difficult for me to, to process and read things out loud in unison with other people, so I'm going to slow down. Hopefully that might make it easier for, for me, at least. Um, and uh, second thing, I'm going to leave the, the verse on the screen both times. All right? Both times. Mainly for your benefit. Uh, if you want to practice, you know what you can do? Close your eyes. Yeah, just close your eyes, uh, which is the third thing that I'll probably do differently. Uh, when, I ha when I have to focus, I, I close my eyes, uh, and I realize I might have to close my ears um, and just whenever I'm memorizing scriptures, I normally sway side to side or 
I don't know. If you see me do weird things up here, just don't worry about that. Like, I'm just trying my best. Uh, messed up first service, and that's just how it goes. So if you would, would you stand with me? Um, we'll put the screen, uh, verse up on the screen. We end up saying the, the reference, uh, quoting the, the verse, and then ending with the reference again. <coughs> so uh, would you join me uh, in saying this? Ready? Here we go. Revelation 1, 5b to 6. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. I think I did it. Revelation 1, 5b to 6. All right. All right. Keep it up, Chad. Thank you. All right, if you want to memorize it, close your eyes. Here we go. Revelation 1, 5b to 6. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests to God, for God his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Revelation 1, 5b to 6. Thank you. I appreciate it. You can have a seat. I don't know how you feel about memorizing that and that whole exercise. If you're like, oh, that's awesome. I love memorizing things. Or if you're like, Brandon, that's like the, the thing I dread most about being at Keystone on Sunday mornings. It's awkward. I don't know it. I know all these verses and other uh, translations. And I just want to say... I get it, um, but I'm still a fan of it. I think that it's a good practice for the church. One of the things I want for Keystone is I want us to know our Bibles, and I think this is a good way to do it. Like, our kids are killing it in their Sunday school classes. And so if you think that it's awkward, if you would just, you know, bear with us, show us some grace and mercy during uh, this stretch, and, and maybe it just encourage you to, to memorize your own scriptures during the week if you're not going to uh, participate with us. Uh, I end up thinking about Keystone a lot. I, I think about things like this memory verse challenge. Uh, but with my role, I end up thinking about Keystone all the time, like all the time, all the time, uh, in the car, in my office, in the shower, just like all the time, all the time. Um, and I'm generally thinking about two types of questions. I'm thinking about, one, like what is it that I want to see happen here at Keystone? Or maybe... Uh, more appropriately, what, it is it, what, what is it, God, that you want to see happen here at Keystone? I want to know what it is that we should be pursuing. And the second question is, how are we going to do that? How are we going to do that? And sometimes it's really just basic troubleshooting, like, all right, somebody's got to figure out, I'll ask you, what, what do you do when a projector breaks, an $8,000, actually $8,000 projector breaks at the end of a service? Um, are we just going to leave it blank for a week? Are we going to buy a new one? Are we going to try to fix it? Uh, are we going to actually replace both so that we can upgrade our technology to digital technology and be able to send video feed throughout the building? What are we going to do? And, and what are we going to do in the meantime? You're wondering why we have two different, like the images are a little bit different. It's because we've decided to fix the old one since we don't have the budget to, <laughs> at least that big of a budget to be able to make that change now. Um, and we're going to use just this classroom projector. Someone needed to figure out and make the, the call on what to do. That's one of the things that I do. Um, th those kinds of behind the scenes. We're doing a wedding. 
how many tables and chairs can we fit in our fellowship hall? I bet you don't know. Uh, but if you ask me, I could give you an idea because I had to figure it out once. I have to figure out how, do, how are we going to find volunteers for Keystone's mom group that meets on Wednesday mornings. Young church, lots of people um, who have kids of their own um, and are working or they've got grandkids. Just who's going to take care of our kids? We've got to troubleshoot that type of thing. What are we going to do with our ever-growing nursery? we just got babies and babies, whether it's being born or being adopted here at Keystone, and our kids' wing. I know this building's only four years old, but we're already starting to worry. We're running out of room. What are we going to do? Someone's got to figure those types of things out. There's like logistics stuff that I end up thinking about. But I also get to think about other things, and this is where I get really excited. I like that part, but I like this other part. Thinking big picture, what, what are the things that I and God desire for his church? Things like, I want, I want Keystone to be a place where people come to faith in Jesus Christ. I want to see more and more people come to trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior, see him as their treasure. And I want to see people at Keystone growing in their faith. I, I would love for Keystone to be known as a welcoming loving, generous people. I, I want Keystone Church to sing their hearts out on Sunday mornings. And I want them to see their whole lives as worship, that during their entire week they'd be considering, how can I reflect the glory of God in whatever I'm doing, at work, at home, in our community, But the question that's on the other side of that is a harder one. I love dreaming about what Keystone can be and do and go. And how do, you, how do you do that? How do you do that? What can I do as a lead pastor and what can we do as a church so that people come to faith? So that people can grow in their faith? I think that we, we can do some things. But I was at an elder meeting just a couple weeks ago, and one of the elders were, were caring for a particular member, um, special needs situation, and he asked just this really simple question. He said, what if after we do all that we're going to do, nothing changes? What can we do then? And I'm like, that's ministry. Like, that is the perennial question that every minister asks himself. The one job that God calls us to do is the one job that we can't do unless God does the job for us. We can't change a person's heart. I'll, I'll get a band together. I'll make sure that Keith is preaching. I'll, I'll make sure our texts bring the lights down not too low or not too high so that you don't feel every eye is on you. But I can't, I can't orchestrate whether or not somebody's heart gets transformed. And parents, you know this with your teenagers. You realize that you might be able to establish rules, provide wisdom, all the training instruction, but you can't change their minds on something. And so it's, it's for the second half of the question, how are we going to do it, that I, I realize I can't do it. And in one sense, that's a depilidating, de debilitating type of sen sentence. It's even hard to say. I, I can't do it. And it's out of that desperation that I end up praying for Keystone. These, well, my sermon title for today is my pastoral 
prayers. I want to share with you how I'm praying for Keystone. I'd love to um, compel you to, to pray um, for your own lives as well as for Keystone. And so my big idea, um, if you've gotten the notes at the top, Keystone Church should pray to a big God. Uh, Lord knows we need it. And so I'm going to, to pray uh, one more time for us before we enter into uh, our time to look at the word. And I'd invite you to uh, join me in praying as well. Let's pray. And Father God, it's good to be near you. It's good to know that you're present. It's good to know that the tomb's empty and that you are ruling and reigning. Lord, you have been our place of safety. And we want to share of the good news of Jesus with the world. We want to declare your works to the world. God, I'm trusting that as we open your word, that your spirit will speak to us. Help our eyes to see. Help our hearts to understand. Lord, you say that your word is profitable for us. God, I pray that our time here would make a difference in the way that we see you, in the way that we think about you and feel about you, that it might transform the way that we think about everything. And that looking out in this crowd, I know there are all kinds of different people with all kinds of different needs and all kinds of different situations. Lord, I can't speak to every one of them, but I know you can. And so, Lord, I'm praying that you would speak to us as a church this morning in beautiful, in bold, in concrete, in clear, in compelling ways. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so... It was not an accident that I had Katie Joy read um, John 17. John 17 is often referred to as Jesus' high priestly prayer. It's the longest prayer of Jesus recorded in, in the Bible. And I just think it's fascinating that we have an opportunity to see what Jesus said. Because I think you can learn a lot about the way somebody prays. If you're ever at a corporate prayer meeting, I, I enjoy those times because I love hearing other people's prayers. Um, you, it, prayer reveals kind of like what their thinking process is. Um, it, it helps them, you know, helps you maybe see how they see God. And so my capacity to see different facets of who God is uh, is increased as I'm praying with other people because they are showing me and they're encouraging me. And I'd encourage you, if you want to learn how to pray, one of the best ways to do that is by praying with other people. Get over that initial awkward phase and just realize everyone feels a little awkward and then just do it. Um, and so... I think that we have a lot to learn from John 17, but it's not actually my, my primary text. All I want to do is, is kind of skate the surface of it, and I, that's usually against what I want to do when I'm looking at Scripture. Um, but my, my rationale is I think that just a quick reading of it, there are certain themes in John 17 that rise to the surface that I want to draw our attention to. And so I've got, uh, what is it, probably eight or nine verses out of all of 17. 17, verses 1 through 26. What strikes me about this particular prayer is that even though it's a long prayer, Jesus doesn't ask for much. There aren't many times where he's asking the Father for things. In fact, this is all of them. And 
when we look at this list, you'll realize that he's actually doubling up on a lot of things. He's repeating God. He's, well, I'll get into what he prays for. Uh, there are three categories. Um, when I read John 17, I see Jesus concerned a lot about the glory of God. A lot of verses in this section, you probably heard it when Katie Joy was reading, about the glory of God. I pulled out these, where he's actually praying to God for his glory. Um, Jesus prays to his Father, Father, glorify your Son. Bring me into the glory that we shared before the world began. And so one of Jesus' concerns is for his glory. But then he, he moves from this first half into more of a middle portion where he ends up praying for the church. He doesn't pray for the, the whole world. He limits it, and he prays just for the church. And so I've kind of bracketed that out so you can see who them is or them are. Um, verse 14, Jesus prays to his Father, Father, protect them by the power of your name. Keep them safe from the evil one. Make them holy by your truth. So he's got a concern for the health of the church. He knows there are believers. He knows that he's leaving. And so he's praying to his father, Father, protect them. Keep them safe. Keep them growing in maturity. Keep them growing in holiness. And then towards the end of his prayer, he ends up shifting his focus not to include just the church, but knowing that there will be those who will believe because of the testimony of the church. And so I put as a category the church and future believers. And Jesus has a concern for the mission of the church or the direction, the, the future church, I'll say. Looking in verse 24, I pray that they, the church today and future believers to come, that they will all be one. May they, the church, and future believers, be in us. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. You see a lot of prayers for unity, about concern for the future. And so it's, it's these three general umbrella categories that lead me to be praying for Keystone. I call them, I use three different words um, just because I can, I guess. Um, I, Jesus is our chief shepherd. I want to pray like our chief shepherd. In fact, if you look at Keystone's org chart, um, my name is not at the top of that chart. Um, I've got the elders above me, and above our elders is Jesus. And he's actually, it's, it's in print. Uh, Jesus is our chief shepherd. And so he's got a concern for his church. I want to pray like Jesus in his church. Um, so uh, I'm going to give you all three categories here. So if you've got the notes, you can follow along. Um, but these are the three headings that I use to help funnel my prayers for the church. I use these three categories in, uh, at staff meetings, at ministry team leader meetings. Uh, you might even recognize them from congregational emails that I've sent out. Um, but I'm concerned about soul-satisfying worship here at Keystone. And so I pray prayers related to this soul-satisfying worship category. I'm concerned about the gospel-shaping lives at Keystone, and so I pray for gospel-shaped lives at Keystone as another big heading. And then the third heading, mission-minded engagement. I desire to see the, the church go out in the world in this mission, and, and so I, I pray for mission-minded engagement. And what I'm going to uh, do today is, is, is share with you what I mean by that. Because I think that sometimes these categories are hard to understand. You might be very accustomed to um, praying for specific needs. You've got an ant's 
cousin's daughter who broke her leg. And you're like, okay, I know how to pray for that. I see the situation, broken leg. I can pray for that. And when we start talking about big corporate culture-impacting prayers, what, what in the world, Brandon, do you mean? Like, how, how do you want me to pray towards that end? It just seems vague and amorphous. Um, can, can you help me? I want to help um, show you um, how I pray for Keystone. And so what I mean when I say soul-satisfying worship, here's, here's an, uh, maybe an expanded phrase here. I want Keystone Church to increasingly see and savor the glory of God. I want Keystone Church, I want us as a people to increasingly see and savor the glory of God. As you read through the scriptures, you'll see glory is a big deal, not just in Jesus' high priestly prayer, but throughout it. We learn that God does all things for his glory. He chooses the church. He creates the church. He shows patience with the church, all to his glory, all to the praise of his name. And he calls us to live on purpose or on a mission to glorify him in all things. And so when you read the New Testament, you know, whether you eat or whether you drink, whether in the most boring, mundane, normal, ordinary aspects of your life, you're supposed to do it in such a way that God gets the glory. You're supposed to do it in ways, serve in ways that God gets the glory, not you. You're supposed to love in ways that they might see our good deeds and praise our Father who's in heaven. I think glory is a big deal, and God's desire to see his name exalted is a big deal. And so I pray that Keystone would increasingly see and savor the glory of God, that we'd find enjoyment in it. And the second thing I'm praying for gospel-shaped lives. What do I mean by that? What I mean is I desire and I pray that Keystone would continually, continually receive the gospel to inform and empower every facet of our lives. I pray that Keystone Church would continually, not just like a once-and-done decision receive the gospel, but I mean a continual receiving of the gospel Because I believe that the gospel, yes, saves us. It saves sinners. Amen. Saves sinners. But I also believe that the gospel shapes believers. That the same power that saves us is the same power that's shaping us. And the gospel supplies us with this pattern for how to live. Follow the the example of Jesus. But the, the gospel also provides us with the power to actually do it. More often than not, you know what you ought to do, but you often find that you don't have the strength to do it. And the solution to that is the the gospel, if we bury it down deep in our roots, supplies us with the fuel that we need to produce the fruit that we desire. And so I'm praying at Keystone that we would continually receive the gospel. That's one of the reasons we say that we're a gospel-centered church. We think that everything flows out of the gospel. So on Sunday mornings, a lot of our songs, there are songs that focus on the cross, Jesus' life, death, resurrection. We try to connect the dots in our ministries by explaining not just what Jesus did, but how it should make a difference on how we live. That grace precedes works, and we want to connect the dots so that people's lives would be an overflow of how the gospel has changed them. And so I'm praying for that. And the last thing I I pray for is just this general funnel category, mission-minded engagement. 
And what I mean by that is I'm praying that Keystone Church would joyfully sacrifice ourselves for the advance of the gospel and for the good of the world. I pray that we as a church would joyfully sacrifice ourselves for the advance of the gospel and word and the good of the world in deed. I think that God has called us not just to receive the gospel, but to bear witness to the gospel, to be a part of his mission to make disciples in the world, make new worshipers. And so I don't care if you call yourself a, a minister or a missionary. I believe that God has called us on mission, just as he sent Jesus into the world, so we have been sent into the world. And I want to see Keystone take that call seriously, that we would receive the spiritual gifts that God has given us, our unique personalities, our unique connections, and then move out in the, into the world equipped to minister and serve and love, that the world would come to know how great and glorious our God is. I pray those types of prayers. So if you're wondering, Brandon, how do you pray uh, for people at Keystone, that's it. And that's all of my notes for today. Um, a lot of information, maybe. But I, I want to do more than just, you guys know that you should pray. If you don't have to be a Christian that long to know that you should pray, what I want to do is I want to compel you to pray. I want to, I, I guess I can't woo you to pray, but I guess I can nudge you or encourage you to pray. And so we're going to spend the, the remaining part of our time together in Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, it's a passage of scripture um, that I love. It's one of those verses where if you love to draw, so kids, if you love to draw, um, want to draw what the scene is in Isaiah 6, 1 through 8, I'd love to see those drawings after the service. But this is not a time necessarily to take notes. I don't have any more notes for you to give. I've given you all of the information. What I want to do is not just fill your head here. As I, I'm hoping that God might touch your heart in what we see. Because I think this passage paints a picture of what soul-satisfying worship looks like. What gospel-shaped lives looks like. What mission-minded engagement looks like. And so let's read it together. See if you can't see what I'm talking about in these categories. Here it is, Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. It was in the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was seated on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it's all over. I am doomed, for I am a sinful man, and I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the, the king, the Lord of heaven's armies, but then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, 
Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? And who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. So what do I want to do? I want to analyze Isaiah's experience. Because I'm thinking that Isaiah probably knew the Lord before he had this particular encounter, before he had this particular vision. I'm guessing he sung songs about the glory of God many times before. But can we all agree that he saw a big picture of Jesus here? And I think, I don't know, I think, he probably sang those same songs that he had always sung before differently after he had this vision of God's glory. He's stretching so hard to try to describe what he saw. His words are falling short. He's like the uh, apostle uh, John in Revelation trying to describe what heaven's like. And he's like, oh, I was up there. And it was kind of like the roads were like gold, but like clear gold. You know what I mean? And you're like, I don't, I, I guess, I don't know. I've never seen clear gold. But um, Isaiah's like, well, he's, he's like high and exalted on a lofty throne. And the train of his robe, I've never, I know you've never seen like big trains before, um, but it like filled the whole temple. And these angels, there, were, there was smoke and there was fire and there was this loud cacophony of singing. And I think that he, what he saw, he saw a bit of God's glory. I understand that glory is really a difficult word to kind of put our minds around. But I think that the, the seraphim's words here are kind of helpful because what they do is they say, holy, holy, holy. They describe what God is, who God is. At God's very nature, he is holy, he's perfect, he's unique. He's set apart, different from everything else in the world. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his, not holiness, but glory. Glory is this thing that we see when God's holiness becomes manifest. When God's holiness goes public, the thing that we see is not necessarily holiness as much as it is glory. And you've all seen that to some degree. Anytime you've seen something glorious, maybe not as glorious as God on his throne, but glorious in that you thought, wow, you were in awe and wonder. If you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, I've never been. To me, it's another hole in the ground. I've not seen its, holy, or its holiness, that's a pun, on display. You see it as this glorious hole in the ground, You've, but it's because the Grand Canyon has this unique holiness to it that makes it seem wondrous. Husbands, as you, when you first saw your wife walk down the aisle, now you have seen ladies before, brides before, you've seen women in white dresses all the time, but in that particular moment, when you saw her in her unique beauty and her unique holiness, that moment was something glorious, was it not? Or athletes. Um, if you've ever seen an athletes have a particular type of holiness. Not like a holiness like God, but they are unique. Can we agree with that? They have special skills and talents that you don't have. Sometimes I wish the Olympics would actually allow like this run-of-the-mill Joe to like run up next to them just so that we could see that there is a difference. I know you sit in your stands and you're like, ah, I think I could do that. You can't. You don't have the type of holiness. Now, when that holiness is put on display, they make the catch, uh, they score the goal, they do whatever sports people do. Um, the thing that you see is glorious. 
And so we, we kind of have a grasp of it. But the tough part about the glory of God is just it's so far above any earthly glory. The scale of it is beyond our imagination. The beauty of it is beyond our imagination. And I'm trying to think how, well, let me just ask this. How many people uh, saw the eclipse uh, this summer? Yeah. Uh, how many people are sick and tired of people talking about totality? Yeah? No? Okay. Well, okay, good. Yeah, I totality understand. Get it? Um, because if you didn't see it, you totality don't understand it. I drove down with a couple of my friends, uh, drove down, le left church, drove all the way down to Tennessee. Yes, traffic was horrendous. Uh, we got there. Um, and yes, uh, for 99% of what we saw, it was exactly the same thing as what you saw. Um, yes, uh, totality only lasted like three minutes long. But it was so worth it. Because in that moment, I saw something I had never seen before. It was beautiful. I feel like Isaiah, as I'm trying to grasp for language, he tries to describe the, the beauty of what I've seen. It was, it was almost like someone shot a bullet into our universe, and the, the edges of this bullet hole peeled apart this perfectly, perfectly circular, crisp black moon is blocking the sun, except for this white halo all around it. The, the, the sky was this beautiful slate gray, and it was like a 365, or 360 degree sunset with, with oranges and yellows, and it, it was 2.30 in the afternoon, and it felt like dusk. It was otherworldly. But what I love about the whole eclipse thing is just a sense of scale. So, science lesson time. Imagine that this is our sun. Uh, how big would the earth be? You don't need to guess. Just maybe in your head. Just guess. How big is the earth in comparison to a sun? That's the size of a basketball. I've got another example, and if you can see it, you can call it. You can see it? No, you can't. Uh, it's a sesame seed. Yeah. Yeah. You are the tiniest, tiniest of specks on this tiny little sesame seed. And so compared to the sun, you are tiny. You are so tiny. And, okay, how far away should they be in order for the earth to move around the sun? Uh, real far. I'd have to put the basketball on that side of the auditorium and this um, sesame seed on that side of the auditorium, over 80 feet away. It's unbelievable, right? Like, we think that the, the sun is big. God's bigger than our sun. And wh what's crazy about the eclipse is this. Like, how big is the moon compared to our sun? Uh, I have, there it is. It's a poppy seed. I don't know if I lost it or not. Yeah, I'll just pretend because you can't see anyway. This poppy seed on a lunar eclipse or on a solar eclipse, is this poppy seed comes right in front of the sun and from where we're looking, the sun disappears. This small poppy seed, if we bring it actually so close to our eye, it will eclipse the sun. It'll block it out. Some of you know where I'm going. We are under constant threat of small poppy seed things obstructing our vision of the glory of the sun. Good things. Marriage, family, career, vacations can become when we bring them so close to ourselves and when we keep the sun so far away, 
we can't even see it. Like tonight, go, go home tonight and look in the night sky. Look for, uh, I don't know if it's Canis Majoris or Canis Majoris. I don't know, Google it. And if you want to grasp it, you look up in the sky and it's this tiny pinprick of light. But the reality is that this star is not just bigger than this basketball. In fact, if I, I, I can't hold Canis Majoris in my hands because it would be over a quarter of a mile in diameter. There are things in this universe that are beyond our sense of scale, and I want to say God is bigger than that. My prayers for Keystone to see and to savor God center on the fact that he's much bigger. So what we do on Sunday mornings, we're trying. What we're trying to do is we're trying to, we're trying to put a telescope up so that you can see the sun for what it really is. We're trying to magnify that so we might see it like Isaiah saw it. Because when Isaiah saw it, it changed him. He first, he ended up seeing his own sin. Because when you stand in the face of God, apart from the gospel, it is a terrifying thing. And he realizes his significance in light of God when he sees God in his glory. He says, woe is me. I am undone. It's all over. I'm a man of filthy lips. But here's the good part. The truth is that the gospel is on display in Isaiah's life. Because what does the seraphim do? He takes a coal from the altar and he touches Isaiah exactly in the spot where he knows he needs forgiveness. He touches his lips. But I'm guessing Isaiah had filthy lips from things he had said. I bet he had filthy hands from things he had done. I'm guessing he had filthy mind from things he had thought. Dirty feet from where he had been. He needed the gospel to touch every part of his life. And as it touches every part of its life, he, he's able then to see the world completely differently. As soon as you know that the God of the universe, the one who is a high and exalted, now does not see you as an enemy, but as an actual son. All of our fear, all of our anxiety, anything that would cause us to say, woe is me, God doesn't love me, doesn't care about me, should melt away in light of the gospel. Because Isaiah has this transformation where he goes from woe is me to here I am, send me. The gospel is shaping, it's saving. It's also shaping, yeah? Shaping him to go on mission so that when he hears the call from God to go, he's like, here I am, send me. I want the gospel to shape us at Keystone. I want us to learn how to apply the truth. Take the, the coal from the altar. By the way, you know who was on that altar, right? We sang about it all the time. We'll sing about it one more time. The Lamb of God laid down his life by shedding his blood for our sins. Yeah? It's good to have verses memorized. And that coal, that piece of the gospel, can touch us and transform us. And so I'm going to close here by praying that God would do more of that here. You don't have to pray just like me. But if you want to, you can say amen. I'm not going to be ashamed or afraid. So let's pray. Father God, we confess.